Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to USA Football's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, where top football coaches from around the country share their stories, philosophies, concepts, and strategies to help you get better on and off the field. Now, here's your host, Keith Grabowski. On today's Coach and Coordinator Podcast, we're going to talk about being an offensive line coach as well as being the coordinator. And to give us insight on that is the offensive coordinator, offensive line coach, at University of Finley, Corey Allen. Corey, it's great to be talking to you here. Keith, I appreciate the opportunity to be on. So, Corey, before we uh, dig into some of those things, the main topic here today, I want to make sure that our listeners understand a little bit about you and your growth in this profession. And, um, man, I was able to meet you a a long time ago when you were at my alma mater as uh, a coach. Uh, Geez, that's, that's some time back. But uh, you were at BW for some time, and you know you've moved on and d- done a number of great things from there. But you know, going back to that be- the beginning, Corey, what was it that really sparked your interest in being a football coach? So it's a it's an interesting story. It's one I share with our uh, our TAs and our young coaches all the time. I uh, so I attended Ohio. I'm from Buffalo, New York, and the Buffalo area, and I attended Ohio Northern University. And so, as a sport management major, I interned. Um, with the Buffalo Bills and their public relations department before my senior year. Um, they were, their training camp was out of Fredonia, New York. I, was, I stayed in the dorms with them. I was there all summer working at what was Rich Stadium at the time. And as the uh, internship started to wind down, uh, my boss, a gentleman by the name of Denny Lynch, who's a longtime PR guy in the NFL, offers me a full-time job. And as, if you're a sport management major, and you get a job offer uh, going into your senior year from the NFL, like that's, that's it, right? But we had a really good team coming back at Ohio Northern, and I would have had to finish up at University of Buffalo or Buff State and would have missed my senior year. So uh, I declined the opportunity to do that, and I put all my eggs in the senior year basket. Uh, we had a great year, still the best season in the history of Ohio Northern football. Uh, made it to the third round of the national playoffs and did a bunch of you know, fantastic things, great coaching staff, great players. Um, but when it was done, and it ended in Alliance, Ohio, as many dreams have, um, <laughs> when it was done, um, I, I had no job. So I, I was working at a, a, a beer drive through and the head coach would come in every morning, get his coffee and his paper, and, you know, hey, Corey, how you doing? What are you doing? Uh, not much, coach, not much. And then finally one day he came in and he said, hey, he goes, we have a GA job open and you're not exactly doing much right now. What do you think about coaching football. Like, that seems like a decent idea, coach. I'm not doing anything else. And 
really don't want to move back to my mom and dad's house. So I'll talk it over. And he goes, no, I guess that's not the way this is going to work. When I, when I drive out of the back end of this drive through the job offer's not there. I'm like, oh, okay, coach, that seems like you're putting a little pressure on me, but I'm, I'm ready. I'm in. He's like, okay, we'll go in and quit right now. And the funny thing about it is, is he knew the owners and he had already told them, hey, I'm coming in to get him. And they were great people. And so basically he drove into the front end of the drive through without me, drove out the back end with me, uh, brought me into the office, threw down a, the old Forbes report. Uh, and he said, you're recruiting Columbus, go to work. I'll check in on you in a couple hours. And so I started making cold calls and, and that's how I, I got into the profession. And uh, one of my early mentors was our D-line coach, Eric Westerfield. He left and went to Harvard after that, and Citadel. And he said, you know, and he told me this in one of the first days that I was on the job. He said, you think that you love football. And he goes, well, wait till you get into coaching. And I'll always remember this. He said, you're going to have higher highs and lower lows as a coach than you ever will as a player. Well, at that point, of course, you're young. You don't believe me. No way. You know, I was so invested as a player there. And um, and, and so passionate, I thought about the game, but he's absolutely right. You know, you go all these years later and the, the highs that you experience as a coach. And then of course the lows are, are monumental. So I was at Ohio Northern for a couple of years as a GA and then a full-time coach moved on to BW. Um, and then I was given the opportunity to come here to the university of Finley, uh, hired by Dan Simrel, uh, who used to be the head coach at Toledo, the offensive coordinator at West Virginia. And, uh, Dan hired me here and, um, you know, just the way that it's shaken out, I've, I've been here since. I've held every job known to man here, uh, with the exception of being the head coach. Well, I'll tell you what, you may be the only GA in, in the history of football who uh, was, was picked up at a beverage drive-thru. Indeed. So, very unique story. Was that Coach uh, Keskowski? Tom Keskowski, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I actually went to Ohio Northern for a quarter before transferring to BW. So okay. very familiar with eight Ohio and coach Kaz and uh, coach, coach Prince at the time was uh, my recruiter brought me in was the O-line coach there. I believe, I think he was. Yeah. Peyton um, Prince. Yep. Yep, Peyton Prince. Um, so uh, some, some interesting things there too, before we, we move on here and I want to talk more about, you know, your, your uh, progression through here as a coach. Um, Ohio Northern, somewhere around, and uh, when did you graduate, Corey? Uh, the fall of 99 was my senior year. I graduated that winter, 2000. Yeah, so I want to say it was the 2000 Ohio High School football coaches clinic. This was before it moved to the East End. It was over by the airport. Coach Kaz was speaking on uh, a very innovative concept at the time called the shotgun eye. Yeah. Uh, today known as the pistol. So, uh, you know, tracing his back, I did, because I did some study on this and, you know, I, I wrote some things a, a bunch on the pistol, but I wanted to know the origination of it. And it was, you know, going on, it seemed like simultaneously without guys really knowing about it, but it, it even traces back to, oh man, I can't remember the name of the coach. I used him in a, a forward, but um, it goes back to plans for it like in the 70s. Um, I want to say it was somehow Bill Parcells was tied to it. it. wasn't the guy who came up with it, somebody he was working with, but then they never, they never really did it, but you guys started doing it. Uh, and then it caught on in the OAC. Yeah. Uh, and, and for a while, everybody or most people in the OAC at, at, would at least dabble in the shotgun eye at the time. Uh, and then it went away for a little bit and came back as the pistol across the country. 
It did. Yeah. It's, it was a very, it's a very interesting story and uh, uh, no, no disrespect to Nevada and Chris Alt and all the innovative things they did out there. Um, but it was the, the winter of 98, 99 and we had brought in a couple transfers. They'd been there for a bit, but we had a kid who was the runner up Mr. Ohio um, out of Stebbins high school by the name of Jamal Robertson, a great teammate of mine played in the NFL and the CFL for years uh, and then we had a Division One transfer quarterback from Coldwater High School by the name of Shane Franzer. So these are two of my teammates, and I was the, the center. Um, Jamal was an eye back. And he was an eye tailback. And Shane was a, uh, uh, you know, Coldwater was, was exceptional in those days, as they still are. But he was a shotgun quarterback. And neither one of them uh, flourished very well uh, with the other strength. Uh, Jamal didn't do well as an offset back and, and Shane was not much of a three, five and seven step drop guy from under center. And so basically as all things are born in football, it was born out of necessity. Right. It was, we're going to keep this guy in the eye and we're going to keep this guy in the gun. And so uh, our offensive coordinator, Rick Ponks at the time, and then Tom Kaskowski grabbed the three of us and he said, we're going to start timing a few things. And they actually had a stopwatch down in the gym in the Kinghorn <laughs> center. And it was Shane and myself and, and Jamal, and we started running. You know, our base run was a, was a play called uh, 26 base, okay? And it was just a zone lead type concept. And, uh, hey, can we get the footwork right? You know, where do we need to have the, the toes and heels and all those things at the quarterback and tailback? And so that's – it was born out of necessity. Um, and then I know going into that year, um, you know, they – Sports Illustrated, we were ranked or however, but they said, you know, the vaunted northern gun. And so that's, that's what it was called a little bit at that time. But, yeah, that's how it started, in the gym, out of necessity. Like most good offenses and innovative plays, it's all about the coaches in a, a hallway or, you know, at, at BW being in, in the bunker. I know when we, when we went through it, it was back to that timing when we were going from pistol and we made a transition because we were just getting the check to the back set right and so we wanted to take that key away from the defense so in that particular year and this is when Zach Fletcher was the OC I was the quarterbacks coach in 2009 and so all we did was put him behind and then like a lot of teams do they bounce him to the side one way or the other um, because we didn't have time to go through and change all the mechanics of how does this translate to everything else we're doing but then in that offseason you know we were we were down in, in the bunker there um, yeah, you know, working through all this kind of stuff where we ended up transitioning to, and I can't, I know we had, we watched, if you remember, like there's that wall full of uh, that cabinet, just full of all the VHS. So it was going back there and we had still that one VHS player in there and, and looking at all the stuff that you guys were doing. And then, you know, you, you did some at BW as well. I forget who the quarterback was there, but then for us, it was, uh, the question came up, what do we reverse out? on all of these things. So that became our offense. We had a reverse out footwork and we had a read footwork for some of the, the zone read stuff. Um, but it seems like all innovation happens that way. You're going to get a, a group of coaches together and get in the hallway, get in the bunker, go to the gym, be somewhere and time all those things out. Yeah, that's exactly how those things are born. I, I think that uh, necessity uh, really opens the mind. Absolutely. So we'll get back to, to uh, the Corey Allen story here a little bit and in your, your progress as a coach. So uh, you leave Northern and where do you end up then? Left Ohio Northern, went to Baldwin Wallace. Uh, the head coach at the time, uh, John Snell, 
So he and I grew up in the same little uh, hometown outside of, uh, outside of Buffalo, a little small town called Albion. Um, in Western New York, it's a, it was a fantastic um, small school football atmosphere. Our high school coach was the 1980s small school coach of the decade in New York. Uh, he was the head coach of the first Governor's Bowl in New York, New Jersey. I mean, football just really mattered to him. And Dick Domenico was his name. He had a passion for the kids in the community. Uh, now, was he a good football coach? Absolutely. But he really, uh, you know, started at a young age. And you don't even realize it because I didn't know I was going to get into coaching. But he formulated a lot of, uh, of my mindset in, you know, having that care and that passion for the players. And, and really, you know, I guess what they, they term a player's coach. But at the same time, he drew a hard line of discipline. So that's how John and I knew each other. Now, John's much, much older and shorter than me. Um, but <laughs> his John's um, John's uh, parents and my grandparents actually shared a duplex at one point in the in the greater Albion area. So when the offensive line job opened up at BW, uh, he gave me the opportunity to move up there to Berea and coach there. And then and then I left him after a year, which he still uh, busts my chops about. Well, I know I've heard. Of, of your high school coach before. I know he had a big influence on John and John would talk about him all the time. And I think, you know, as you described him, uh, it, it was almost like, you know, that player's kind of coach, but a hard line for discipline, like, well, that's John, you know, coach Snell was, was, was that kind of guy. And so you do get influenced by, you know, some of those coaches. So as, as you're going through the, um, the profession, I know you leave BW there, but you know, who, who were those guys who really influenced you, especially as you're becoming a college coach? Well, as I said, you know, Coach Domenico was a major influence. Rick Ponks was my offensive line coach at Ohio Northern. He was there for about 15 years, uh, was really one of my first mentors. Uh, he went on and, and worked at North Central, and he was the head coach at Aurora um, out in the Chicago area uh, the past couple years. Um, but he was great. Kaz is, is still a, a, a lifelong friend and somebody that I really lean on uh, in, in that regard. Um, but I mean, those are the guys I think that you would put as, as mentors that, that really shaped who I was becoming as a coach and really gave me the love and passion for the game. So you leave the jackets, uh, where do you go from there? Head down to Finley, Ohio, uh, where I, where I still am today. So went down to the university of Finley, Dan Simro gave me the opportunity to come on here as the offensive line coach. Dale Williams had just left. Uh, Dale's now the offensive line coach at Purdue, but he had just left to take a job at Florida Atlantic and uh, for Howard Schnellenberger. And so the job was open here. Uh, I didn't know anybody. Uh, I did not have an in uh, as most times it takes to, <clears throat> excuse me, to get a job in this profession. I called Dan several, several times without knowing a soul here on the staff and, and uh, to get, and got no response. And I kind of gave him the generic, Hey coach, I'd be really interested in the job. You know, if there's an opportunity there. And finally, the last time I called him, I didn't expect to hear back. I said, listen, coach, I'm the best offensive line coach in Ohio, and you're making a mistake if you don't call me back. Um, and I hung the phone up, and, and then he called back. So I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> things had a, had a funny way of working out. So came down here and, um, and worked for Dan for two years, and, and then uh, he moved on uh, and then worked for John Wofford for several years. And then Rob Keyes came in as the head coach in 2011 and so rob and i have worked from 2011 until uh, we're sitting here this morning that kind of leads us to uh to where we are and, and one of the topics we want to focus on today um you then had the opportunity to grow from the offensive line coach 
into being a coordinator and um, you know certainly some some challenges with that along the way from how do you handle uh, game day and being able to make adjustments on the field to um, you know having having somebody else maybe to even be your eyes and practice for certain segments where you're tied up with the O-line maybe working protection during a, a skelly or something like that so um, that transition let's talk about that transition first from just being O-line coach to uh, being the offensive coordinator yeah, I think I would give a, a, a word of warning to any offensive line coaches out there that want to advance in the in the profession into the coordinator role. Um, you know, pay attention when the seven on seven is on on the film. You know, when you get back into the office and you're watching that thing, uh, you know, grab as much knowledge as you can. But I worked for um, from 2011 to 2017 with just a fantastic offensive coordinator and Troy Rothenbuehler. And Troy's at, uh, at Youngstown State now as the offensive coordinator. He's going to do a phenomenal job there. And, and he really, um, really kind of kicked me out of, I guess, what you would call neutral coaching-wise. I mean, I knew what I was doing up front and everything. But he challenged me as a coach. And, and uh, we had a great working relationship. Uh, you know, I was the yin to his yang here for a number of years. And, uh, and we had a really, really good thing going. And then all of a sudden, uh, we were in the national playoffs in 17 and when that season was over um he got the opportunity to join the arizona cardinals organization and and he was gone and at that point you know rob came in and he said hey i'm, I'm moving you to the offensive coordinator role uh, are you ready for that and i said yeah let's go um so we had to make a hire and you know and hire the quarterbacks coach uh, which we did and we hired uh, kyle orzanski uh who's yep. a who's an ohio guy bw graduate yep one of my quarterbacks yeah that's exactly right. So, um, you know, and Kyle, is, he's not just a, a great young coach. He's a great coach. He's someone who's I, I think is going to really be a, a star in this profession. And, and we work, you know, really, really well together. Um, but I think that uh, from my perspective, what I tried to do that first spring as, as the coordinator was be everything that I thought a, a coordinator was supposed to be. And that is to be everywhere all at once. I tried to do way too much. Uh, micromanaging and uh, and I tried to run the entire offense and be everywhere at once and, and it's just not possible you know and so I think that I stepped back and and uh, and redefined to me you know what an offensive coordinator is and that is to coordinate and that's to coordinate your coaches and then be a play caller on Saturday and and to understand that all the pieces offensively are, are all so important and with as much time as I was trying to invest in in being the you know, the, the, the mayor of offense, um, I was shortchanging the offensive line. And so I needed to get back to those roots and worry about making sure our coaches were doing the right things and handle those things in meetings and trust and, and believe in our staff, you know, which we had a very, we have a very good staff. So um, that really changed my perspective. And uh, again, through trial and error. So yeah. it got me to the point of, of you know, if, if you're an offensive line coach, and, and you are going to be the offensive coordinator, you know, you have to have um, a, a skill guy that you have complete and, and total trust in uh, when it comes to, you know, potentially being your eyes, if you're going to call it from down in the field, you know, being your eyes and being that voice of reason for you uh, as a play caller on Saturday and, and really have a great line of communication with that person. Yeah, I've, I've had um, the opportunity to coordinate really – 
uh, in coaching two different positions. At BW, I was quarterback coach. At Oberlin, I was uh, the offensive line coach. And distinctly different approaches to how I handle those things. Um, uh, so I agree with you 100%. It really was, it, it shook out exactly that way, that when I moved from being the quarterback's coach to the O-line coach, it was now making sure that I was taking care of those guys. So my eyes in practice didn't go to what happened on all these routes, what, what were the coverages. I was still focused on what are my guys doing inside on this protection or what are my guys doing inside on, on the run um, and relying on my other coaches to do that. Now, the other thing I did, which was a great tool, is, is uh, I had uh, uh, some software given to me at the time. It was um, – Coach's Eye Instant Replay. Not around anymore or got bought up by Huddle. I'm not sure. But uh, they, they got the product out to me, and I, I recorded and had an iPad underneath my script and my schedule, and I could see everything then three seconds after. So as the play's coming in, I'm reviewing the play, and that gave me the ability to see both. So I love that part. I know everybody doesn't have that luxury. But if there's you know high school guys out there and you are that guy, I would highly suggest, you know at times at least, utilizing your instant replay software that you use on game day in practice. It's uh, I think it's really helpful, especially if you're that guy who, um, you know, coaches the offensive line. Uh, mm -hmm. That, that was a big tool for me, but I know for you, it was also, you know, you did the smart things. You went to people who do this and have done this and learned from them. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, the, the people you reached out to right away to uh, get some insight into being the offensive line coach slash offensive coordinator? Yeah, so one of my uh, my first two calls, I called uh, Tom Manning, who was the offensive coordinator uh, out at Iowa State, and, and he was at Toledo. And, and I said, you know, Tom, tell me about, you know, who you are as the offensive coordinator. What challenges am I going to run into as the O-line coach OC? And he said, you know, um, he said, honestly, it, it's going to be the red zone and it's going to be third downs. You know, he said, Corey, he goes, you, you understand it. He goes, you can call the run game. You can call the RPOs. You can call it in, in, in you know, what I refer to as the alumni zone where anybody can call the plays, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you can do all that. And he said, but, um, you know, you're going to have to have, you know, faith in, in a guy and have a great set of eyes and, and a great, um, you know, kind of wingman there to help you out in those situations. Uh, and then I called Herb Hand, who's been a longtime friend of mine, and, and asked him the very same question. You know, because he, he called it when he was at Tulsa uh, for a little while. And Herb said almost the exact same thing. Now, what was interesting about it is, is both of those guys called it from upstairs. Um, and they were up in the booth. And, you know, they're at the Division One level. So they're, they have larger staffs, you know, than, than we have here. So they had the luxury of, of having a guy down on the field that they had, you know, complete and utter trust in. Uh, they knew that the offensive line was being taken care of. And so – again, kind of goes back to that point I made about I was trying to do everything that an offensive coordinator should do. So, man, we go into that first game, and we're down in Kentucky, in Owensboro, Kentucky, at, at Kentucky Wesleyan. And I didn't mind it because it was 95 degrees out, and, and there's air conditioning up in the booth, right? So um, so I go upstairs, and we're calling the game. Yeah, you know, we win the game. Um, but something just didn't feel right. You know, the communication was tough. You know, the headset was getting put on the center. Uh, coming off on, on the sideline and I'm trying to communicate with him, but I can't look in the eyes of the offensive line and, and, and talk about how the, the front's stemming and linebackers are unwrapping and, you know, the things that us line guys do. 
Um, so then we go to the next game and, and we play Ferris State. Now, <laughs> in that season, I don't, we wouldn't have beaten Ferris State in that game, I think, if I was on the field uh, or if I was up in the box. I, I don't think where I was uh, had a difference there. They had, they had an outstanding team that went all the way to the national title game. But after that game, I sat down with our head coach and uh, Rob Keyes, and I said, Coach, you know, and he met me in the hallway. And we were up in Big Rapids, uh, Michigan at the time. He met me in the hallway, and I said, Coach, you know, and he looked at me, he goes, you got to come back down on the field. And it's funny because coaching is, is this, this crazy event. Um, his dad is a longtime high school coach in Western Pennsylvania. Okay, his dad is, is awesome. Coached at Monagahela, uh, where Joe Montana's from. And, and so his dad was there on the sideline for the game. And his dad had been there at games from 2011, 12, 13, all these games. And his dad was just like, he told Rob, he goes, there's a presence issue down on your sideline right now. Your offensive line coach isn't there. And so, and, and you know, you're not only is he your father, but he's a he's a 30 year high school football veteran in Western PA, right? And and so Rob met me in the hallway, said, "You're coming back down." And uh, and and so that's, and I agreed. It's what needed to happen. Uh, what's interesting about it, though, is you have to look at the process. You know, you mentioned Keith that you were the you were the quarterbacks coach at one point. Well, you have direct control of the quarterback at that point who. That's that guy runs. He steers your ship yep. inside the lines. I mean, that's he's your leader offensively. Okay, and if the offensive coordinator is the quarterback coach, all right, and now he's the play caller, you know what your guy is capable of, what he can do, what he can't do, throws he can make, how he feels about the game plan, how comfortable he is with certain pocket movements, and and all those things. I have to go through another channel. As the offensive line coach, I have to go through the quarterback coach and he has to, so you have to be a great communicator as an offensive line coach and a coordinator. You have to be a phenomenal communicator with your quarterbacks coach. And that quarterbacks coach has got to give you a, a no bull, no BS evaluation of where our guy is at in order to be successful on, on game day. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. It's like you said before, right? The, the coordinator, I mean, if you look at just the meaning of the word, it means to bring together, right? It doesn't mean that you are the guru. It doesn't mean that you have to um, be the most knowledgeable in every single part. Hopefully you have guys who, I mean, I, I hear coaches all the time. I want to be the dumbest guy in the room, right? I, I want I want people who are really good. Now, um you know, that's, that's not undervaluing that, you know, the offense. I mean, if you are going to be the coordinator and, and you are an O-line coach, your aspiration is to be a coordinator. I agree with you. Something you said earlier, like go watch the seven on seven, right? I, I can, can remember, uh, you know, guys I've worked with at times, like, and I'm, I'm going to go look at this while you guys are looking at seven on seven. And, you know, I wanted them to understand what we were doing in the passing game. Um, you know, a, a number of reasons. I think, you know, as you look at, you know, the pocket and how the quarterback is seeing things, uh, you want the protection to work for him as well. I can remember, you know, one of, one of the years when we had a new line coach at BW and um, he was having the, uh, the guard being able to dual read on, you know, against a certain front. And, you know, that guy would molly back across the quarterback's face and the, the quarterback's moving in the pocket because he sees right in front of his face. What was that, right? And we got it, you know, caught it in camp real quick, 
you know, talked about what we were trying to do. And especially on that particular concept where we were trying to go and attack the middle of the field. And, you know, you have to be on the same page. You can't separate those things. I mean, the game's always played in context. So your protection in some ways still marries to the timing and the windows that I want to throw in. I mean, you know, we would always pull pictures out. You know, what we were trying to do with our protection was turn it into a seven-on-seven. Slide these guys this way, move this guy out that way, open up the middle of the field. This guy can see it like seven on seven rather than throwing through small windows, if at all possible. I mean, other times, you know, whatever's thrown at you, you might not get that. But I think that's that's the coordination part. Whether you are the O-line coach or the QB coach, all those things have to be on the same page. And there has to be that trust. I remained up in the box, um, mostly because I had a young uh, quarterbacks coach who had never been up there, wasn't comfortable. We tried some things in, in camp where we put him up there. And, you know, he's like, it's just not me. I just, I can't get the feel for it. So that's fine. But he would then come into all of our protection meetings. He'd come into all our run game meetings with the offensive line and also be that voice. Cause on game day, it, I was gone. Right. And I couldn't put the headset on the center and get the effectiveness of, of what I really need from a coach and trying to communicate it from him. So um, I like your way better. I think the O-line coach, if at all possible, needs to be on the field. But, you know, there's different ways to handle it. And it all goes back to bringing those people together, which is your job as a coordinator. Absolutely. So, Coach, looking at, um, I guess, some of the – the other suggestions you have for guys who make this transition or guys who become the OC, any other things you'd, you'd offer in terms of skill sets to develop mindset, all those kinds of things. Uh, you know, from an offensive line coach perspective, I, I think just, um, you know, broadening your horizon and seeing the whole picture, um, you know, the wide copy is such a, such a valuable thing. And I think right now, Things, things change, and, and I know every, if you're not willing to learn and adapt over time, you are going to fall behind, and, and your players are, are going to suffer because of it, you know, and, and, I, and honestly, I don't, I don't know if this fits right here, Keith, but man, it, it's, if you look at a game, how many times can you be honest and say, you know what, I got outcoached in that game, or how many times as coaches do we say, well, you know what, so-and-so didn't make that catch, or he didn't make that play, well, look, we need to put our guys in a position to be successful. And if we recruited right and, and we don't put them in a position to be successful, that's on us. And when you start looking at the way defenses are playing now with their ability to consistently manipulate support, you know, with a lot of people going to the four two five, and and so they can gain support from multiple different spots right now, you need to understand as an offensive line coach, the hole. Cause if you don't understand the hole and you say, Hey, we're going to run it. We're going to pound it in there. Well, that's going to work. If you have superior players against an inferior opponent, it's not going to work when you are equal or you are outmatched because they're going to have the number advantage on you. And if they have the number advantage, it doesn't matter how good you are. Right? It's going to be hard to move the ball. So understanding defensively, the context and sitting in, I think that, we have such a great relationship here with our defensive coaches. You know, Mike Kolakowski coaches our linebackers. He was the DC at Mercer the last six years. He's been the head coach at Cal U. Before that, Tom Rebels, who's down at Fairmont State as the D coordinator now, I think is just a phenomenal football coach. And then Jason Macrinos, our DC, 
we go back and forth in our meeting, in our meeting spaces, which there's just two uh, glass doors that separate the offense and defensive meeting rooms. And we go down there and it's, hey, if we do this, what problems are going to give you? What, what, and so I think that back and forth, I think sometimes, you know, we listen to all these amazing podcasts that are out there and we clinic with all these other coaches. And, and sometimes we fall short on using and finding the value that's right in our own building. Um, and, and just to clinic each other. And I mean, Jason comes down all the time and he's like, hey, what does this bother you? If I do this defensively, is it going to bother you? And then we give him the, the answer that, that we feel is we try to make each other better. Um, yep. So, that, I mean, that's, that's what I would say is just, you know, you need to have that 10,000 foot view if you're an offensive line coach and, and stop skipping over the wide copy. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and you want your eyes to, to work at a, as a wide copy at times on game day, too. Um, and first of all, I'll step back. That exact process, I think, was one of my favorite things in, in going down the hall and, you know, finding Jim Meyer and, and his guys and, you know, Mark Jockham and I or, or uh, Tony Niemeyer and I going down there and talking to him about um, here's what we're thinking, uh, some things we've seen, you know, what do you feel maybe the adjustments are going to be? How do you feel we could attack these certain things? You know, bouncing it off them. And then also, I think you get that understanding of how do they feel uh, in a particular game about the matchups they have? Because, mm -hmm. you know, some of that goes into how you manage the game as well, right? You have to think about those kinds of things. One of the best things for me being up in the box next to, to Jim uh, was being able to say, what do you need? right now right you're all uh, and he'd say hey we've been on the field a lot can you can you slow it down can you chew up some time on this drive right so those those kinds of things are important and that being able to work together with those guys it's not as as the OC I mean I think too many guys wanting to climb the ladder make the mistake of I got to go throw up all these ridiculous stats where at the end of the day you know I used to tell our guys like we're gonna have all these maybe things we look at to evaluate some factors of the effectiveness of our offense but there's one key analytic that matters did we score one more point than them one mm -hmm. or more points than them and and that really we said that's our job mm -hmm. you know we, we we're not gonna argue about well they didn't do this they didn't do that our only job is to score at least one more point than the other team so I think it helps to get you on the same page. Um, and then in regard to, you know, having that, uh, that wide angle view of things, um, sometimes, and, you know, Shat Boyd at Muskingum was, was just great at this because uh, we would, you know, honestly, we'd outmatch him a lot. But, man, he'd scheme some things up that would really mess up not just our, our offensive line's eyes, but as we're looking at it, you know, the eyes of what we're looking at, right? What is happening in there? What does this keep happening? And I remember specifically we're playing at their place, and, and you know that's, that is not an easy place to play. No, it's not. Um, I mean, you get off the bus and there's the vultures sitting up in the trees, and it's, it's just always like, you know, and if you're up in the press box, you're worried that somebody lights a match because that thing would – Mm -hmm. you know, it was plywood. It would go up in a second. But um, I think Shap, who's, who's been on the podcast before, I think he and I talked about this. He was, he was taking his wheel linebacker, moving him all the way outside the box and on the snap of the ball, bringing him back into his spot. And what we're seeing is we're running power, right? And our running back seeing that what looks like the cavity right there, that he could go back to the backside and wham, he's getting hit just be on the line of scrimmage all the time. I mean, power was like one of our things we hung our hat on. We could, 
you know, where is he coming from? Right. But it was one of those things, not till started expanding our view outside of just these guys tight. Oh, he's all the way out there. He's bringing them in. He's scheming us up. So it took us a quarter and a half, I think, to, to iron that out. But it's one of those things. Number one, you have somebody else with those eyes. I know you talk about Kyle in that role all the time. Um, but as the O-line coach, too, you could see the big picture. How are they using their safety support? Or how are they scheming up our run game? Or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think on game day, um, on game day at this point, you know, you're watching – um, you're watching support, you're watching the safeties in that field linebacker. And, and if a tackle is going to be made in the interior, all you got to do is look at the number and then you know who made the mistake based on concept called. You know what I mean? Yes. It's not necessary to stare at the interior um, from the sideline as an offensive line coach. You need to see where support's coming from. And, and if it's the nose that makes the tackle and you're running inside zone and he was a one technique, it's the center and the guard. You know that. Right, right. Um, you don't need to stare at that to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Corey, um, some great stuff you share with us here. I love the perspective on how you become a coordinator as the offensive line coach and the way you need to look at some things there. Uh, but with all the things you do, Corey, on and off the field, what do you feel is the, the thing you do for your players or your unit that really gives them the winning edge? So I, I think that it's a great question. I, I think there's two things. Number one, we win um, because we have great players. I mean, I think that, the, you know, the credit goes to them. We've been able to attract a really high-quality student-athlete here. Um, and these guys are football junkies. And that's what I love about them. But from an offensive perspective, there, there's two things that I, that I would focus on here, Keith. Number one is, and I know we all say it, that football coaches are teachers, but how do you go about that teaching progression, right? Every position coach should have a teaching progression. You know, for me, it's stance, departure, contact, movement, finish as an offensive line coach. That's O-line teaching progression. But what about as a coordinator? And so for us, it's classwork, quizzes, test, exam. It's classwork, quizzes, test, exam. And so when you look at how valuable your practice time is, and this is where I think that one of the reasons that we are successful, you can't waste time in team versus scout. When you get that, those are valuable minutes and valuable reps, and there needs to be a process. So again, classwork, quizzes, test, exam. Well, what's classwork? That's the install. That's the game plan meeting on Tuesday. That's the video. We're showing them that. That's classwork, right? What is classwork doing? It's preparing you for the exam, but it's not just classwork to exam. Now it's time, all right, for the quizzes. Well, the quizzes for us would be our 10 minutes of walkthrough and pre-practice, right? Mm -hmm. But we're not just going to sit there and dominate it with our voice. We've just installed it. And everybody learns in different ways, right? So, right? so we've just given them the game plan install. We've showed it to them with video. We've drawn it on the grease board. Now we're out to the practice field. What we're going to do is put the look team out there in the 10 minutes of pre-practice, and it's okay, bang, run this concept, run this concept. We want to see how much do they carry over from the meeting right away in pre-practice. Now you get to group work. And so when we get into the season, Keith, we are not wasting a lot of our individual periods, that valuable time you have with doing the same drills that you would run in spring ball or early on in camp, okay? We're not spending a ton of time working up O-line boards and, and, and working cone drills with the receivers. Now, we, we have a, a group period called concept versus coverage where the quarterback's not even throwing. He's eyes and pointing, okay? Yep. But it's a great opportunity for – 
our skill coaches to put the shell out there. This, these are our concepts versus their coverage and the varied coverages we're going to see. And okay, then there's this route adjustment. There's this is where the ball goes. And so that period is very valuable to us. And then O-line, tight ends, and pullback wise, we're going to do a bunch of pod work at that point where we're going to break it down into the front side and the back side of these concepts. And here's the front that we're going to see. Here are their main blitzes. And then we'll do inside run versus scout. Those are all the quizzes, right? To get us ready for the test, which is team versus scout. And that's what's important. I think too many times we don't accurately prep our guys or in the past, I think we do a good job of it. We don't prep our guys for what's coming in scout team because we spend too much time doing individual drills. And then you get there, you don't like it because it doesn't look good because you have not shown them the front, the coverage, the fit that they need. And then they don't run it well. Well, here's what's going to happen if they don't run it well. A, they don't believe in it. B, you don't believe in it. There's a chance that you could take a phenomenal concept and throw it out because you're like, our guys can't do it. Well, okay, you say they can't do it. What is it that you've done to get them ready for Tuesday afternoon's scout team? Yep. So then we're going to come back in after that practice and we're going to say, okay, what did they get? What didn't they get? What, what are we going to give another day to? What's too much? Okay, and then we'll go back on Wednesday and repeat the same thing. And, of course, then the final exam is, is Saturday. But that's, that's a process for us that it's very, very methodical in we need to prep them for success on the test, which is the team versus scout. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That's, I love it. It's a great explanation there of, of how that all fits together. So, Corey, before we go, I want to make sure you have the opportunity to share your recruiting area with our listeners out there. Uh, what, what areas do you recruit? So I'm uh, blessed to recruit Northeast Ohio. I have all of uh, Cleveland, Akron, and Canton. And then I also go up to, you know, my old stomping grounds of Western New York uh, and recruit there as well. So that, that is my base area. And best ways for our coaches to connect with you? Uh, on Twitter, it's a pretty basic one. At Corey Allen, it's with a K. Um, you know, uh, shoot me an email. And uh, with the way things are going right now, we've, we've just, we've done a ton of, um, ton of clinicking and talking football on Zoom meetings lately and, and just really sharing ideas and collaborating with, with coaches from all over the country. It's been great. Corey, I appreciate you taking the time and, and uh, it's always great to catch up with you. I appreciate it, Keith. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Just a couple reminders. If you are looking for drills, especially for your offensive linemen, check out our contact system, which is a great way to prepare your team right now where I know you may have some uh, some limitations to what you can do with these guys. Uh, you're going to see the majority of those drills within that system to teach these guys hand and footwork are done without pads. Uh, check it out at footballdevelopment.com. Please follow what we're doing with our football development model. That's at fdm.usafootball.com. It's really something that helps you build your youth football programs. If you are the high school coach who is in charge of youth football in your community, please pass that along, pass that podcast along, uh, the Football for All podcast to your youth community where we outline exactly what the football development model is and give great tips from coaches, players, commissioners, and parents from around the country. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.